So, here we are in Genesis 37 this morning. I'm going to read a bit and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger and in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being seventeen years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Pause there. So, um, they're in Canaan where, where God has called them to be. They're, they're now reunited with their the family. They're, they're where God has asked Jacob, now called Israel, to be um, in the past. So they're living in a land that, that God has promised to give them. They're where they're supposed to be. Uh, and Joseph, being the youngest, who was born uh, while Jacob's wife died is kind of favored because he's the youngest and he came from um, his wife that he he, he really really loved because the mm-hmm. these two are the servants Billa and Zilpah and then talk about Leah's sons right here but Joseph seems to be coming back and tattling on his um, uh, these other brothers and he's bringing a bad report to his father. So he's he's telling on them whatever they're doing. And that that's kind of the beginning, one, one of the beginnings of this conflict. As we saw in the past that when Esau was coming to meet Jacob and his family, he wasn't sure what Jake, Esau was going to do. So he actually put his two maidservant wives out front, and then Leah, and then Rachel all the way in the back. So there's this obvious favoritism that Jacob has been exhibiting, and and Joseph gets all of it, as we'll we'll soon see. Now Israel, verse three. Now Israel, which is who is Jacob with his new name finally. Now mm-hmm. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because mm-hmm. he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. And when mm-hmm. his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated mm-hmm. him and could not speak peaceably to him. So here we see the favoritism. Um, Israel mm-hmm. means wrestle with God, and mm-hmm. and I had a good conversation with another pastor about this. And is it the Israelites are wrestling against God, or now they're wrestling with God on their side? And I would say that means both, because mm-hmm. Jacob initially got the name when he was physically wrestling against God. <laughs> um, but now we have God to wrestle with, whereas the, the everyday people that don't know God, that don't care about God or what he says, they don't wrestle with God. They don't wrestle with my will versus God's will. They just do my will. But now that we know God, we're wrestling with God as, hey, do I do what I want to do or do I do what you want me to do? And then once once we get to the point where we're doing what God wants us to do, then God's going to fight on our side and he's going to fight alongside us. But we are people that wrestle with God. We are people that, that have to decide whose way is best, mine or God's. And we see this obvious favoritism. And we mm-hmm. have this the idea that the youngest son is given a tunic of many colors. And that's not the best translation of the word. It could mean a long t- tunic or a long coat or a long sleeve jacket. It just means that uh, Israel, Jacob's, is showing favoritism and that 
Joseph will be the heir of all of his stuff. He'll receive a double portion, which is normally reserved for the eldest son. Mm. Um, and we see it pass over Reuben, and then the second son, and the third son, and all, all other 11 children. Mm. And, it, and Israel is showing obvious favoritism toward his youngest. And yeah, the other 11 brothers <laughs> hate him for that. They, mm. they couldn't speak peaceably to him. They, they were pestering him and bothering him and calling him all sorts of things. They just were angry at him because of what his father had done. Not because of anything that Joseph hadn't really done at this point in time. Although the, the maybe tattling or bad report to his father. But he, he kind of gets set up to, to, to have these kind of antagonism against him. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheath stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So here we have a, a couple dreams that Joseph has about the future. Um, the first one being about the sheaths bowing down to him uh, and just spoiler alert in the future the brothers will bow down to him when he is kind of second in command of Egypt and he has saved um, a bunch of food because there, God had told him there, there would be a famine coming um, and so the these brothers will have to come and ask him for food not knowing that He's their brother. So this will come to pass. And God is, is kind of giving Joseph a head up, heads up of what's coming for him in his life. Um, and even his father and his mother will, will come to do that. Um, but that does not make Joseph a favored among their brothers. It's interesting. He tells these brothers that already hate him about this, this dream, but... Uh, it just makes things kind of worse. And we see that uh, Israel rebukes him, but he remembers it because he's also had some dreams. He had the dream where he saw the angels ascending and descending on a ladder out of heaven. And so his father's keeping an eye on him, thinking that th there may be big things in store for him. He kept the matter in mind right here, yeah. Um... We'll keep going. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Sheshem. Uh, that's the place where they kind of killed that whole whole town. So it's kind of a strange thing that they would return back there. And, um, where the second, third brother, Levi uh, and Simeon, killed the town. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flocks in Sheshem? Come, I'll send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley to Hebron, and he went to Sheshem. 
Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dotham. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, the, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to their father. So we'll pause there. So Joseph goes to find his brothers in Seshem. He is looking around on the ground, and someone sees him, probably looking for tracks or sign of where they went, and, and tells them he went to Dotham. So he goes to Dotham and finds them. And so these brothers are envious and jealous of him because of many things, that he's the favored, he got the, the code of um, inheritance, and, and he's got these dreams that are just, just not making him a family favorite. Mm-hmm. And so they conspire to kill him. Um, cast him into a pit so he'll starve to death and and Reuben who is the actual eldest the, the firstborn hears it and he says oh let's not kill him let's just cast him in a pit and Reuben was thinking that he'd probably go rescue him later and bring him back to his father so that there would be peace so we have this kind of peacemaker character here But things will things will turn a little different. So verse 23. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with the camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we... Kill our brother and conceal his blood. Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let us not hand let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened, then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and let lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors that they brought it to their fathers, and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him without doubt. Joseph has torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, but sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all the daughters arose to comfort him, and he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. So here we have the tragic... Um, deceit of the brothers which is just a kind of an echo of all the deceit that Jacob slash Israel has has done in his life and we have betrayal and misdirection and 
just everything that, that we see sinful human beings doing. These are the chosen people in whom the Messiah would come. Mm. But we don't see them acting in a way that would that that you would recognize the kingdom in. We see jealousy, we see coveting, we see murder in the hearts of these men. So they, they come, they put him in a pit. Reuben goes to rescue him or to check to make sure he's okay, and he's not there. And because they had sold him to the Ishmaelites. So the Ishmaelites were their father's, their grandfather's brother, Ishmael. Um, so they were kind of family, but they were traders that moved around at this point in time in history. So they sold him for 20 shekels of silver, and they took him to Egypt. And they decided to cover up what they had done by killing a, a kid goat, dipping this tunic in blood, and taking it back to their father. And, and the fact that they're able to say, hey, do you think this is your son's or not, uh, kind of helps you believe that it's not this, there's a play, uh, Joseph and the many technicolor coat that there's all these different colors and it's kind of a crazy coat but if they have to ask if this is your son's or not then it's not so readily identifiable as this bright tunic that mm. that modern day people make it out to be so the the death of um, joseph his youngest has come to the father and he mourns and he weeps and for the next almost 20 years they'll think he's dead Hmm. Or the the father and mother will think he's dead because all the all the brothers know what has happened and what they've done. And Joseph goes to what a family. What a family! How nice of them! How how wonderful! Um, so it goes. What a family! What a family! And so one thing I want to like pull out of this. God had prepared a good thing for Joseph. He had given him the two dreams about um, the brothers bowing down to him and the, the, the star and the moon, the mother and the father bowing down to him. Um, and, and God has already prepared this, this good work for him. And it's interesting how he gets there. I'm sure there were, God may have had another way for him to get there, but, but what these brothers intended for bad would eventually be for good in the future because he would save a lot of people's lives because he heeded the word of God and and the, the famine, the, the dream that was given to Pharaoh and he would interpret it and know that there was a famine coming. And so through these poor events, through these bad things that we see every day here in the story and in the real world, God is God is working and there is a greater purpose for it all. For our good, not for our comfort, not for our wealth, not for our health, but but there is a greater good for the suffering that we we endure here and now, and that God can can redeem those times and and bring us to a place where we can serve others and for for God's glory, which is which is a really cool thing to see, and. Just one thing, they knew what was good, they knew what was right, and they didn't do it. And, and this one verse kind of has been kind of rattling around my head for, for a couple of weeks. Um, and, and James 4.17, it 
um, because the they knew what was right. They they were silent about what was, what was right. Reuben was silent about no, you shouldn't do that. We should just bring him back to father, and you know, let, you can haze him, bother him, beat him up, whatever. But let's not kill him. Let's let's just be good and kind and honest. This peacemaker allows his brothers to do this deceitful thing, this wicked thing, and never says anything about it to them. He, he kind of said, oh, I'm going to do the right thing in my heart, but he didn't s- stop them from doing, from throwing their little brother into a pit for to, to die. And so the question arises, like, they're obviously sinning, but is Reuben, the, the, the eldest brother, sinning because he he doesn't do anything? And, and I have to say, with James 4.17... Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So even just being silent, even though he knows what's right and he's planning to do the right thing later, when we let these bad things happen, if it's in our power to stop them, because Reuben is the eldest son. Reuben does have some say in what's going on. It appears to be that he was gone while his brother was being sold. But instead of standing up and stopping sin, stopping evil, he allowed it to happen, and, and it says that that's sin. When when we allow, through silence, things to happen, we're sinning. And if we're we're called not to sin, we're called not to walk in sin. And, and we have to wrestle with the idea that it's easier for us to not say anything when there's sin. It's easier for us to not have that conflict, that 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 clash of, like, that's not good, you shouldn't do that to... Or, or that's not okay for you to talk about in schools, or that's not okay for you to talk about at work. But if we know the truth, and we don't share it with people, if we don't tell them what is good and right, then then we're sinning because we know what is good. We know what is true. And if we don't do it, if we don't do those right things that God has called us to, then we're sinning through inactivity, through inaction, through silence. We need to be able to stand up boldly to share with people about what the word has said, what the word means. And it's just, it is hard to do today, but it's just as hard as to do today as it was in the past. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to, to work in our lives to show us what we need to say and how we need to say it. And and we need to be in our word every day so that we know what the truth is, so that we can speak truth to people, that we can know what is good, what God is expecting, what God loves for us to share. And we just need to walk in obedience and faith, not worrying about what we look like, what, how we're heard, how we're seen, but, but only worrying about what the Lord has called us to do. Because he did that for us. He, he, he died for us. He, he lived a sacrificial life. He lived a sinless life to do the Father's will so that we may be reconciled to the Father through his death on a cross, on the cross, a death of a criminal. So I praise that that example that he gave us that even though it would have been easier for him to be quiet and easier for Jesus to not have said anything, he, he spoke truth to the people that didn't want to hear it. And that's what we're called to do. Speak truth. Doesn't matter if they want to hear it or not. We need to be able to speak God's words to people when they need it. Because that's what we need. Their sin is a sickness that we have to live with and deal with. But we don't 
have to be ignorant of it. We don't have to be ignorant of the causes, and we don't have to be ignorant of, of what we need to do to stop walking in sin. Lord God, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for your word, for these these unlikely characters that are starting your 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 earthly kingdom down here. That will be Israel, the nation, whom the rest of the Bible will will make note of. God, I pray that you would help us to realize that you work with sinful people, that you work with flawed people, that you work with people that that have really bad pasts. And God, that you forgive those things freely if we ask. God, and I just pray that you would help us to remember to ask you for forgiveness for those things that we've done yesterday or ten years ago. God, I pray that you can help us to work together for your good, for your kingdom's glory, not for comfort, not for wealth or health, that we... We will go through hard things. We will go through things that will be difficult, that will be painful, that will not make any sense in the time that they're happening, being thrown into a pit and sold to slavers. It doesn't make any sense. But you can use those bad things. You can change change them to good things, Lord, for a greater purpose beyond ourselves, beyond the individual to bless others, as your Genesis 12 talks about, to, to be a blessing to all nations. Lord God, help us to be that blessing and have boldness to speak your truth, your gospel, your salvation every day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, While I was listening, 